saying thank you Jesus back to hallelujah and we'll end on that. Please stand for opening prayer. And if you can hold the hand of the person next to you and bring it across the aisles, please.
please bow your heads and close your eyes. Dear Lord, we come to you the end of another week. We thank you for giving us this day of rest that we may be able to thank you and praise you for everything that you've done for us. Be with us again this night. Send the Holy Spirit that we may hear another word from you. Be with Pastor Washington as he preaches this night. Forgive us for our sins and bless those that are here for anything that they're going through that you may heal them in a special way. Thank you again for everything that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, prayer, amen. May be seated. I want to welcome you tonight to our fourth evening of Lord Make Me Over. How many of you have been here every night or some nights this past week? Raise your hands. Well, as I'm sure you are, I've been blessed this week and look forward to the next week that we have. I want to welcome you for, to coming tonight because I know that you have other choices you could have made, but it's not by accident that you are here, and for that you'll be blessed this evening. Tonight, I would like to give today's gift to a lady who had just recently become a grandmother, who we enjoyed her story today, and I want to thank you for everything that you've done for me in my life, and that is Sister Eileen White. So as the rest of the evening goes, I'd like you to pay attention tonight and just welcome you for being here tonight, and I know you'll enjoy the rest of your evening. While we're doing nice things tonight, there's a special presentation we want to make, and I'm going to ask Sister Sweetie King and Sister Frances Tustin if they'll come forward. Many of you know that the church has for some time been engaged in a Bible study distribution program, and we give out certificates to those who finish certain portions of their lessons. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? Study the Word of God, informing people about Jesus Christ. And on my far right, there's Sister Sweetie King, who is the teacher, who happens to be Sister Tostin's sister. And she has her here tonight to enjoy our evangelistic revival. And we're happy you're here, ma'am. And we're glad to present you your certificate. And we know that you'll continue to enjoy your lessons and you'll enjoy the message tonight and you'll enjoy the rest of the revival evangelism, we hope. And God bless you as you continue your studies. And keep up the good work. Can we say amen once again? Amen. amen. Have you had a good Sabbath day today? Amen. I know I have. And I can't think of a better way to end the Sabbath than here at church today. It's definitely good to be in the house of the Lord. Tonight's prayer topic... And our prayer focus for this evening is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. I believe that the last days are upon us. Amen? And the more we go into the last days, we're going to need the Holy Spirit more and more. If you don't know, the Spirit is being withdrawn from the earth. The pastor said a few weeks ago in his sermon that people don't have any shame anymore. People are taking more and more risks with their lives. People are doing more and more evil, and that's because the Spirit is being withdrawn from the earth. But in these last days, God's people is going to need the Holy Spirit. What do you say? And I definitely want the Holy Spirit in my life. So if that's your prayer tonight, you can choose to come up to the front. If not, you can kneel where you are as the pianist plays. We have two special people who are going to pray for us tonight. We have Pastor Jacob, who's doing such a good job next door in his work and then we have brother Yancey a longtime member of this church and he's going to pray tonight as well and we're going to be praying for the Holy Spirit in our lives if you need more of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life why don't you join me up front this evening if not you may stay in your seats where you are just take the hand of the person beside you and kneel
praying for the Holy Spirit tonight. Take the hand of the person beside you as you come to the front. I'm going to ask Brother Yancey, Pastor Jacob to come to the front. Take a few minutes, talk to God, tell him what you need, tell him how much you need the Holy Spirit in your life, and then after a few minutes, we'll lead off with Brother Yancey, and then we'll close with Pastor Jacob. dear God as we come to your sanctuary tonight it's me it's me oh Lord standing in the need of prayer not my brother not my sister but it's me oh Lord standing here rhetoric God I need a cleansing from you send your Holy Spirit down to reign upon your people. Jesus, we need you. So much tragedy is going on in the world. So many people, dear God, don't know which way to turn. But God, I know that your spirit is with your people. And good God, if you said that we just call in your name, you will answer us. So we call on you tonight, Jesus, to send your spirit down upon us. We have sick. We have disturbed people. We have marriage problem. We have family problem. We have kids problem. We got church problem. But God, I know your spirit that God can change all the above I just said if we just call on you we ask you Heavenly Father as we go through this day into another day dear God let your spirit make a new person in us as we start a new week we may not do the same thing we did last week but be a new creature in you we ask you Heavenly Father that so many people are it's hungry for your word. They need your spirit, Heavenly Father. I ask you just come down and let your presence be known to them. Be with Pastor Washington tonight, Heavenly Father, your manservant. Send the spirit down on him. And dear God, just continue to work with us. Sometime, Heavenly Father, we fall short. Sometime, Heavenly Father, we don't know what to say or do. Just look up and knowing that you're there. Dear God, just continue to be with us as we go to this night. We thank you. We praise you. We magnify your name. This is my prayer. I ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you, Father in heaven. Because you are the giver of all gifts, perfect gifts. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not just simply a spirit, but this is a divine being who is present here among us. Our prayer tonight, Lord, to please create a new Pentecost in this house. We need that spirit to be in us to clean our lives so that what we believe will never contradict the way we live. We also need your spirit to be above our heads. We need your anointing, your baptism so that we can become witnessing for you and your glory. Baptize each and every one of us, especially your servant, Washington, 
Thank you for using him in a mighty way. As he simplify and share your word to us. Tonight, as he speaks to us once again, we pray for the Holy Spirit to bring convictions in our heart. So that we can ask for your grace to recreate us. And I have a new beginning in our relationship with you. Bless each and every one of us, especially those who are faithfully coming to these meetings. Especially those who hear you for the first time. Bless them in a special way. And may your spirit help them in their decision to do what is right. Forgive us, Lord. And be with us. And this is our prayer in Jesus' wonderful and gracious name. Amen and amen. want to say that I love you more than
I don't know about you this evening, but I get excited about the Word of God. So excited, I almost lost my voice last time I preached to you. But God is good. He's been so good to us. So many times he's blessed us. And tonight I'm confident that he's going to bless us one more time. What do you say? Tonight's message has to do with the law of God. It's a very solemn message. It's entitled, If You Love Me. The appeal for this message will actually take place on tomorrow night when we deal with the Sabbath in a topic entitled, Just For Me. But there will be an opportunity for you, indeed, to encounter God once again tonight. So if that's your prayer, could you stand with me, please, as we ask God once again to make us over. Make me over again. Oh, holy Lord, I've talked to you so much today. And Lord, I put my trust in you and only you. Your word is so beautiful. And so many have been deprived of the privilege of a loving relationship with you. Lord, they only know the vengeful God, the angry God. But Lord, they don't know the God that loves them more than anything. So tonight we ask that you reveal this to us. And Lord, bless in a special way. In Jesus' name, let everyone say, Amen. If you love me, our Lord and Savior was nearing the end of his life. Soon he would be arrested, beaten, and crucified. There were many challenges he faced in his 30 plus years of life. At his birth, the ruling authorities tried to have him killed. As a child, other children would tease him and question whether or not Joseph was his real father. He had to be selfless all the time, saints. People rarely said, Jesus, what can I do for you? But they always said, Jesus, do something for me. And if that wasn't enough, Jesus faced the harshest and most severe temptation known to man from the devil. One of my favorite authors states that Jesus never enjoyed a moment without temptation. He was always asked to do the impossible. He was always supposed to have the right answer. He was always under scrutiny, and he went through all of this for us. No humans challenged Jesus more than the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a sect of individuals who believed that God had charged them with returning Israel to more conservative teachings. It was hard not to spot a Pharisee. They usually had long flowing robes and that had scripture laced within the hymn. They had phylacteries attached to their bodies. Phylacteries were small boxes that contained copies of the law. Pharisees put these ridiculous boxes on their head, around their neck, or over their heart so they could literally fulfill scriptures and proverbs that deal with meditating on the word and tying the law around your neck. 
They were strong believers in the Torah and the Mishnah. The Torah included the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch and commentary on the Pentateuch. Over the centuries, several wise men had made observations about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And this was all pretty simple and to the point. But the Mishnah was a little bit more complicated. This was the law that surrounded the law. Jewish leaders over the years, hear this, had developed several traditions and practices that had become the law. And most of these practices had nothing to do with Scripture, but what the leaders perceived as righteous living. For example, on the Sabbath day, it was lawful to light one fire, but if you lit two fires, and if that fire produced smoke, it was a sin. You could build a wall on the Sabbath, but you could not cement that wall, or else it was a sin. You could put on sandals, but if you took them off on the Sabbath, it was a sin. Some of the most familiar of these rules had to do with healing on the Sabbath. You could not receive most medical treatment on the Sabbath. And even today, in Israel, you better not get sick on the Sabbath day. You will be looking long and hard for a hospital that will serve you. Because even on the Sabbath day, they still feel it's unlawful to heal somebody. The Pharisees hated Jesus. They hated him because he did not adhere to their traditions. They hated him because he did not pay homage to them. They hated him because he was not impressed about how much scripture they quoted or how many boxes were attached to their hands. But they hated him the most because he brought a new understanding to the law, an understanding that made you stop focusing on yourself and how righteous you were, but start focusing on Jesus and how righteous he was. So before Jesus gives his life, before he makes the ultimate sacrifice, he decides to give these people who have hounded him daily one last piece of rebuke. Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. Reading to you from the New International Version of the Bible. Jesus really lets the Pharisees have it. He actually breaks his rebuke up in seven different parts. And these are some of the harshest words you'll find anywhere in the word of God. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Verse 3 in the New International Version. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Sound like anyone you know? They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love to place, they love to sit in honor at banquets at the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and to have men call them rabbi. Look at this, saints. But you are not to be called rabbi. For you have only one master, and you were all brothers. Oh, my Lord, look at this. And do not call anyone on earth father, 
for you have one Father, and he is in heaven. Amen? Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as you are. Woe to you, blind guides, you say. If anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold in the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, that what makes the gift sacred is the temple. Therefore, who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and the one who sits on it. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Amen? You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain at a gnat, but you swallow a camel. And little by little, he tears into the Pharisees. He tears in what they've built over all of these years. He tears into the oppression that they have put on the people. He tears into everything that they have built up that is a supposed righteousness. He exposes them, not as righteous, but self-righteous. He exposes them, not as followers of God, but merely people who modify their behavior to look like they're something they are not. He exposes them. And saints of God, there are so many people who are living under the wrong impression of the law. They, li they live either a faulty version of the law or they ignore the law altogether and woe to anyone who teaches the law in the wrong way. For too long, our churches have taught the law that if a person is not perfect, they are not worthy to even step in the presence of Jesus Christ. We've taught the law based on our interpretation, and we're no different from the Pharisees. If we do not teach that Jesus is the center of the law and that if we love Jesus, keeping the law comes automatically, we're teaching the law in the wrong way. We're teaching it wrong. We're teaching people to just modify their behavior. We're teaching people to be self-righteous. I got news for you. You can't keep any of the Ten Commandments without Jesus Christ. Come on, say amen again. You can't do it. You can't do it. If you don't love Jesus, the only reason you're keeping the law is so that you can get props from other people. And guess what? When those people go away behind the scenes, you'll break every one of them. Oh, pastor, I'll never kill somebody, but I'll gossip about them. Huh? I'll never break the Sabbath, but when no one's around, I'll check those scores. I'm talking to somebody tonight. If you're not in love with Jesus, if you don't have a thriving relationship with him, the law is impossible to keep. You can't do it. It's a burden. And you know, there are some people who try. And guess what? You could probably do it for a month. You could probably do it for a couple of weeks. But after a while, you realize, woe is me. 
because inside I really don't want to do this anymore. You'll have to find something else to be motivated by to do the right thing. And some people are. Some people are motivated by attention to keep the law. Some people are motivated by plaques. Some people, nominating committee, are motivated by position. But we need to be motivated by the love of Jesus Christ. Who says amen to that? So in order to keep the law right, we need to understand the law better. And we're going to go to the word of God to understand the law better. And we're going to deal with a tough one first. First and foremost, you need to know that the law was not done away with at the cross. We have heard this over and over. I've heard it on TV. I've heard it on radio. I've seen it in books. And people say, oh, the law was done away with the cross. When Jesus died, they put the Ten Commandments on the cross, and we don't have to keep the Ten Commandments anymore. What foolishness that is. As if killing people is okay now. As if stealing became okay all of a sudden. As if lying on someone became all right. And you know the amazing things, the same people who say this are the people who are fighting to keep the Ten Commandments up at courthouses around the country. <laughs> the same people who say, oh no, the law's done away with, are the same people who have the Ten Commandments up at courthouses. I have news for you tonight. The law was not done away with at the cross. Well, Pastor Washington, where does this come from? Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Let's go to the Word. Let's see where this comes from. Let's see where people get this from. Colossians chapter 2. Who has a good booming voice? Elder Brown. Colossians chapter 2. Could you read for me verses 13 through 15? Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcised of, uncircumcision of your flesh, had he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances that was against you, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Right there. there it is, Pastor. <laughs> there it is. Hallelujah. We don't have to keep the law, right? It was nailed to the cross. The Bible says it right there. All right? The Bible says the law was nailed to the cross. It was something that was against us. We don't have to keep it anymore. That text does not say the Ten Commandments were nailed to the cross. In the Old Testament, the way that people looked for Jesus was through the sacrificial system. Amen? In other words, in the Old Testament, when you committed a sin you had to kill an animal to atone for your sin. But when Jesus came and died on the cross, the Bible called him what? The Lamb of God who took away all the sins of the world. We no longer had to look forward to Jesus because he came and died on that cross. And so since Jesus died on the cross, I don't have to kill a bull. I don't have to kill a ram. I don't have to kill a goat anymore. All I have to do is say, Jesus, forgive me for my sins and give me another chance. And the Lamb of God will take my red sin and take his red blood and make me whiter than snow. I don't need the sacrificial system anymore. So when Jesus died on the cross, the ordinances they were talking about were not the Ten Commandments, but the sacrificial system. Well, Pastor Washington, I don't believe that. Let me prove it. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. From the words of Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 5. Let's go to verse 17. Matthew 5, verse 17. This is what Jesus says himself. Listen, don't believe these people. Don't, saints of God, if you're not a member of this church and you go back to your church and your pastor says, oh, the law was done away with, you take him to this text. Matthew chapter 5, him or her, I'm sorry about that, to this text. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. 
do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to what, everyone? To fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Do you know what Jesus is saying there? He's breaking it down to the nth degree. He's saying, I'm so sure that the law is not a go, that's not going to go away, that the little piece that you dot the I with, not even that's going to go away. The little stroke that you cross the T with, not even that's going to go away. I'm not coming to take away the law. I'm coming to fulfill the law. Who says amen to the word of God? Jesus himself was the embodiment of the law. And so if Jesus says, I come not to destroy the law, it is a lie and a fallacy if someone tells you the law was done away with at the cross. Because you know what that means? That means Jesus is contradicting himself. And my God would not do that. Amen? Amen. So, Let's look at one more text, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. <laughs> Romans chapter 6. Now, even though the law is still in effect, what people misunderstand and how people misconstrue this teaching is that we're not under the law anymore. The Bible says the wages of sin were what? The wages of sin is death. The law says if you sin, you die. That's set in stone. Amen? If you sin, you die. All right? We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace because when Jesus died, what did he do? He took the sin for us and died for us. He fulfilled that penalty. So some people say, well, if Jesus fulfilled the law, and we're not under the law, we don't have to keep in the law anymore. The Bible doesn't teach that. Verse 15, verse 15, Romans 6, 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. I believe the King James says, God forbid. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of the teaching to whom you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Who says amen to the word of God? You no longer are under the law because the law says if you sin, you die. But because Jesus paid your penalty, because Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. Amen? We owe it all to Jesus Christ because he paid our penalty. But just because that law doesn't apply to us anymore doesn't mean you can go out and do whatever you want to do. Because that means you're taking advantage of the grace that has been extended to you. I had the young people in the back last week, and I said, you know, when you were a kid and you messed up in school, that ride home was a very long ride with your mother. If your mom had to get off work and pick you up from school, whoo, get off work and pick you up from school to take time off, that's a long ride home. And more than likely, I'm sitting in the back seat all scared, and my mom's fuming, and she'll look back at me, oh, you're going to get it when you get home. All right, who's heard that before, all right? <laughs> you're going to get it when you get home. It's, it's going down, all right? You're going to get it, all right? Now, if you get home, that's the law. The law has been decri decried, all right? You're going to get it. So let it be written, so let it be done, all right? You're going to get it. So if you get home... And you go in your room, and you're stuffing your clothes with pillows and tissue, and, <laughs> and you're, you're getting ready. You know what's about to happen, you know. 7 o'clock comes, no whooping. 8 o'clock comes, no whooping. All right, you peek out your room. Good night, Ma. Good night, baby. 9 o'clock comes, 
No whooping. Hey, you're under grace, right? You're under grace. You wake up the next morning, you check your body, make sure you're okay. You walk out, Mom, good morning. Stop acting. I'm not going to whoop you. I'm going to give you another chance. Woo! That's grace. All right? Now, who of you, the same day, would go out and do the same thing that got you in trouble yesterday? Huh? Huh? It'd be taking advantage of the grace. The law was canceled because of what? Grace. All right? But would you go out and do the same thing because you got that grace? God forbid. That's the same thing in our Christian walk. We're under grace, but that does not give you an excuse to go out and act a fool again because the reason, the thing that you did, somebody already had to pay for it. Think about it. Think about it. So, the law was not done away with at the cross. Secondly, every law is important. Are you listening to me? Every law is important. James chapter 2. The book of James chapter 2. Every law is important. James chapter 2. Word of God reads, For whoever keeps the whole law and stumbles at just one point, he is guilty of breaking all of it. Ooh, that's a serious text. Huh? You mean tell me if I break the Sabbath, I'm guilty of killing somebody? I might as well be guilty of killing someone? Huh? If I lie on somebody, I'm guilty of not honoring my father and mother? If you break one point, you're guilty of them all. You know why that's so important? There are entities out there today who have changed the Ten Commandments to suit their own needs. There are entities who've changed the law to fit what they want it to say. And if you change one, the serious nature of that is the word of God says you're guilty of what? All of them. That's a serious thing. You know, there was a time in my life I didn't take all laws seriously. All right, when I was a college student in Huntsville, Alabama, there's a road that leads, I think it's 75, that leads to Chattanooga, all right? You should drive that road all the time. 72, that leads to Chattanooga. One year, young people, I'm not condoning this. Saints, I, I wasn't strong on my walk as I was now. But one year, I got 10 tickets. Now, I used to drive eight hours to Greensboro, North Carolina. And I got 10. It got so bad, one of the officers knew me. <laughs> Hey, hey, how you doing, brother? Young theology major, how you doing? I was like, hey, okay, how you doing, doc? They got me, all right? I said, oh, it's just a speeding ticket. What's the big deal? I don't have to pay it, right? What's the big deal? I was young and dumb. What's the big deal? It's a speeding ticket, right? Right? Wrong, wrong, all right? Because a little bit before I graduated, I get a note in the mail saying there was a warrant for my arrest. Listen to me, young people. You pay those speeding tickets. I never heard this in my life. Never been arrested for anything in my life. All right. I showed it to one of my professors, Dr. Mervyn Warren, and he said to me, you don't pay this, I'm not letting you graduate. I got in my car. <laughs> I drove to the courthouse. I put my nickels and dime together, and I paid every one of those speeding tickets because guess what? Every law is important, and we need to understand that as well. There is no softy cream puff Ten commandment. Every one of them is important, and if there's one of them you're not keeping, don't fool yourself to think that it's not a big deal. It will catch up with you, and there will be consequences if you don't keep that commandment. Who says amen to the word of God? And last but not least, last but not least, you keep the law because you are saved and not to be saved. You keep the law because you are saved and not to be saved. John 14, 15. Some of you know it by heart. We're going to say it together. John 14, 15. If you don't know it, turn there. Let's read it together. Word of God says what? If you what? Keep my commandments. 
My grandmother, when I moved in with her, she never had to spank me. I kept her rules because I never wanted to disappoint her. Her being disappointed was worse than any spanking I could have ever got in my life. To see her look at me and have that disappointment, that motivated me to do the right thing. And likewise, in your Christian walk, you keep the commandments because you're in love with God. You love him. You want to please him. No one walks, and I've showed you this illustration before. No one walks and says right foot, left foot. Right foot, left foot. Who walks like that? Nobody walks like that. When you walk, you just walk. It's natural, all right? Even as a child, you learn it, and it becomes part of your nature. Keeping the commandments is the same way. You connect with the, with the, with the branch. You are the vine. No, you are the branch. You connect with the vine, and then he gives you the power to keep the commandments. You fall in love with him, and you want to do what pleases him. But there's a second aspect to this. Did you know that those who are going to be saved in the last days are going to be the people who love God and keep his commandments. Revelation chapter 12, last text for tonight. Revelation chapter 12, I want you to see this. Keeping the commandments is not just a Jewish thing. It's not just a Seventh-day Adventist thing. It's a matter of your eternal salvation. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. I like how the King James Version says it, so we're going to read that uh, together. That's the wrong text. That's the wrong text. Revelation 12, let's, uh, these are they that keep the commandments of God. Help me, Bazarach. What is it now? Man, I hate this. 512, 512, amen, amen, amen. I wrote it down wrong. I have, these kids know I have the worst handwriting in the world. And so I wrote it down wrong. Revelation 5 and 12. Is that it? That's not it. 1412. That's it. That's it, man. Hey, you should take my ministerial license for that one, man. I'm supposed to know that one by heart. Revelation 1412. What does the word of God say? I'm going to give you this text before the night is over. There's a text that says, These are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Those who will be saved in the last days are going to be the people who keep the commandments of God. Who says amen to the word? Do you forgive your pastor for messing that text up? We'll get it right. I had it right the first time. <laughs> Let's go to the screen, brother. Let's go to the screen. Let's go to the screen as we close. Let's go to the screen. Revelation 12, 17, saints. Let's go to the screen. A young, rich girl came bounding through the front door of her home. She had just finished school and wanted to show her mom the good grades she had gotten on a math test. Her mom had been sick lately, and she knew that this would pick up her spirits. She came through the door with a huge smile, but that smile quickly turned to sadness. The housekeeper took her into her arms, sweetie, your mother has died. Now the only family that the girl had was the housekeeper. A few weeks later, the housekeeper was charged as the legal guardian of the young girl until she was 18. She was also given stewardship of the estate until the girl was 18. The next few years were the worst years of the girl's life. Not only, had she had, not only did she have to deal with the loss of her mother, but the housekeeper turned into an evil tyrant. 
She claimed that she had a mother. She claimed that she had a letter from her mother that outlined several chores and rules she must follow. She said that the letter ended with, hear this, if you don't do these things, then I'm really not your mother. The young girl could never please the housekeeper. She was never good enough. The toilet was not clean right. The bed was not made right. Her hair was not done right. Her grades were not good enough. The housekeeper would always remind her of the words at the end of her mother's letter. She would say harsh things like, maybe you aren't your mother's daughter. One day when the girl was older, the housekeeper was out shopping. She searched the housekeeper's room and found the letter. Sure enough, her mother had wrote it and her mother had left rules, but her mother said nothing in the note about disowning her. In fact, the letter actually began with, baby, mommy is sick. She will not be with you always, but if I go, know that I love you. Following that, her mother listed the chores and rules that her daughter had always done and had always followed. The letter ended with, no matter what, you are my daughter. Just do your best because I love you. This set the young girl free and it sent the housekeeper to jail and got her in a whole lot of trouble. But the young girl was free. The young girl was happy because she knew that if she did her best, her mother would always love her. And there are so many people right now who are afraid that God is sitting up in heaven ready to zap you. That God is sitting up there and if you don't do a bunch of traditions, he's going to mess you up. But I'm here to let you know right now that if you love God and keep his commandments, he'll love you back. He's proud of you. He loves you. You don't have to live under the tyranny of behavior modification. All you have to do is love God, and keeping the commandments will come as second nature. Who says amen to the word of God? Jesus paid it all, and all to him we owe. This young girl was set free at the knowledge that God loves me, and he wants me to do my best. And so many people have been trying to keep the commandments without love for God. So many people have put the cart before the horse. They say, I'm going to keep the commandments and maybe God will love me. But no, the text says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So if you love God, keeping the commandments will follow. If you love God, stealing won't be a problem. If you love God, you won't want to kill someone. If you love God, you'll never talk bad about your neighbor. If you love God, you'll want to find a Sabbath-keeping church and keep God's true Sabbath day. If you love God, you won't have any idols or graven images in your home. If you love God, you'll honor your father and your mother. You'll honor your grandmother and your grandfather. You'll honor your aunts and uncles. You'll honor any authority figure that's in your life. But you have to love God first. And if you love him, and when you come to that realization, you'll be set free. <laughs> you'll be set free. You'll be set free. Wait, what? I was doing all this work. I was, I was trying to make myself good. And you mean to tell me God loved me all this time? You mean to tell me he loved me first? You mean to tell me I didn't have to prove something to him? No, you didn't. If you're listening today, no, you don't have to prove anything to God. All you have to do is accept his love. And if you accept his love, he'll teach you how to walk right. He'll teach you how to talk right. 
He'll teach you how to live right. Who believes God's word tonight? Oh, who believes? It's just that simple tonight. Oh, it's just that simple. You thought it'd be more complicated? It's just that simple. If you love me, keep my commandments. And then one day, when we're standing on that mountain, and as Jesus comes, he'll look upon us with pride, and he'll say, these are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I'm looking forward to that day. How about you? I'm ready for that day. But before I get there, I have to live right in the Lord. And I can't do it unless I love him. Do you love him tonight? Do you love him tonight? Do you want to follow his commandments tonight? If that's your prayer, why don't you stand with me as we pray? Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, you said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Lord, many of us kept part of your commandments today by keeping the Sabbath day. But Lord, we don't want to offend in one point. So Lord, help us to keep all 10. Help us to realize that the law has not been done away with. Help us to realize that every law is important. But more than anything, help us to realize that law-keeping is motivated by love. It's not motivated by us. It's not motivated by selfish ambition. It's motivated by love. So help us to fall in love with you even more. In the name of Jesus, let everyone say, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Saints of God, thank you so much for coming out tonight. I have an invitation that I would like to give you. Don't get weary in well-doing. We have three more nights left. Tomorrow night, Wednesday night, and Friday night. If you've come this far with me, why don't we finish out together, amen? Tomorrow night, we're talking about the Sabbath. And the name of the sermon is entitled, Just For Me. Wednesday night, we're talking about the state of the dead, and the name of the sermon is entitled One Sweet Day. And we're going to end our nightly services next Friday night with an important message entitled Sexual Healing, and that's talking about recovering from sexual sin. Amen? Then we're going to come next Sabbath morning. If you've never worshiped on the Sabbath, next Sabbath will be your opportunity. And next Sabbath morning, the name of the sermon is the potter's house. Hallelujah. The, <laughs> man, I, I could preach a little bit more. The potter's house. Make sure you're there. We're looking forward to seeing you. As you leave, please leave an offering at the door. If you've never filled out one of our forms telling us who you are, take an opportunity to fill that out tonight. God bless you. Thank you for praying with us. And have a wonderful Saturday night.